Recording from a new barrio, welcome to Hand of Pod. Boys and girls, welcome to episode 342 of the internet's longest running, possibly least professional, but certainly best, uh, Argentine football podcast. I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined this week by English Dan. Hello and welcome. And Andres. Hello and also welcome. Uh, when I say recording from a new barrio, we are recording from um, Visha Ortuzar for the first time in Hand of Pod history, so I meant... From a, a barrio that is new to Hand of Pod. This would be one fact, of those neighbourhoods that you tell people one you live in, and they say, "What? What?" Yeah, even uh, people from Buenos Aires. Mm. Yeah, um, people don't believe me when I say I don't live in Bishop Kisa these days. But, but are but, you quite sure that you are? This is Bishop Tusa. Sam doesn't get these things wrong. He does not get these things. I run a pub quiz, and the barrios of Buenos Aires are one of my favourite little bits of trivia. So yes, I'm fully aware. However, across the road. Um, literally right across the road because the border between the two barrios runs down the middle of the avenue um, we're now looking out on the newest barrio in Buenos Aires gentlemen did you know that? Yes. Is Parque right? Chas is the youngest one yeah. got its official no, uh, recognition in the 70s under the last military dictatorship or something I think I was asking so you sorry sorry yes. uh, because when I get out from the from the, from the subway it, in this same in the very station it said um Los Incas Parque Chas. Parque Chas, yeah, which is mm. across the road. Oh, um, okay. But this this side of the avenue is Bisha Otusa. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah, which is a bit confusing as well because the Subte station one down that way is, is called yes. Bisha Otusa. Um, but yeah, it runs all the way up here. Anyway, after that fascinating diversion, yes. which I'm sure uh, we found interesting, but I'm sure our listeners found mm. really interesting, um, let's get on with the results mm-hmm. from the time since the last podcast was recorded. Dan has just given me one of those at club level. Can you say it again, Dan? Yes, in the first leg of the B Metropolitana, that is, of course, the third uh, tier of Argentine football for the teams that play in Buenos Aires and its surrounding areas. Uh, Floresta's finest, always, um, downed uh, Isla Maciel's, maybe finest. Um, I'm not going to get into that, even though we don't have any Santelmo or Doxu. Supporters here, well, San Telmo, uh, 3-1. We, we have somebody who lived in San Telmo for a good long time. You didn't live in Isla Maciela? No, I didn't. I, I did live just a block or two away, as we mentioned several times when we were recording there, um, from where San Telmo's original stadium was. But of course it was long gone by the time I moved in. Um, that, would be a, that would be an interesting Handapod Extra episode. Just Sam recording while he walks around Isla Maciela. Perhaps after dark as well, to give yeah, it a little I, extra spice. I don't think... It, it would also sound uh, pretty poor, because I wouldn't be taking the microphone down there with me. And it's it, far too expensive. Or my phone. Or, uh, <laughs> and it would be very short. <laughs> yes, indeed. 
Um, so that was in All Boys Stadium, wasn't it? It's the second leg in San Telmo? I believe right? so, yes. Uh, well, I say obviously the second leg is in East Lavacial, not in San Telmo, as I just explained, but I meant in San Telmo's ground. We're, very, we're doing a lot of barrio stuff, like are, lots yeah. of neighbourhood geography stuff today. It's, East Lavacial is not a barrio, because it's not in the city of Buenos Aires. Uh, it's part of the Partido of Avellaneda. Indeed. And I promise you all I'll stop now. But um, we do have one more. There is another result. Yes, and another geographical confusion. Oh, go on. Oh, right, yes. I because know where going in this, yeah. the National B, um, That's the second we, division. Yes. Uh, we know who's promoted and who will be joining the big boys of the Superliga. And it is Central Córdoba, who are not a team from Córdoba either. No. They are Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero. Santiago del Estero being a province... Towards the north of the of Argentina, so not very central. This central, north central. It's confusing. Though. The name of of course comes from the the famous railway line Indeed that ran fr- uh, from Buenos Aires up through Rosario, Córdoba, uh, Santiago del Estero, and I believe it finished in either Tucumán or it carried on to Salta y Jujuy as well. Which but is why I cannot be sure. Which is why there's also a, a lower division club in um, Rosario called Central Cordoba. There, there is indeed. Yes, I, I don't know when there's a Central Cordoba in Cordoba. I don't believe mm. so. I think that would break the matrix. It'd just be too if, confusing. If you're one of our several uh, Cordoba, um, I don't know about based, but Cordoba knowing uh, listeners, and if there is a club called Central Cordoba in Cordoba, feel free to write in. Mm-hmm. I realise I can Google it, but it's much more fun to ask our listeners yes. to correct us. Other fun facts about Santiago del Estero: it is the Siesta capital of Argentina, and they love their, their Is that naps. an official thing? It's semi-official, I okay. think. And you won't get in any trouble if you say it to a Santiagueño, because they revel in their reputation as die-hard nappers. So yeah, really especially like in it. summer, right? Especially in summer, yes. When I wonder why. When the temperature gets extremely unbearably hot. Um, I, w- I was there, actually, last summer, very briefly passing through. Uh, on the bus to Tucumán, uh, we had a stop just outside Rio Hondo, which is a natural hot spring because, of course, um, if in those temperatures, the obvious tourist spot is a hot water spring. It makes total sense, right? When it's 60 degrees outside, yes. why not jump into a body of hot water? Absolutely. Yeah. And yes, I can confirm it was very hot at the, uh, at the truck stop. We stopped in to eat lunch. Anyway, in several parts of the interior or provinces, um, they used to work, for example, in, in, in two different shifts, which goes from very early in the morning to the, uh, until noon, and then they, they go back to work from uh, 3 or 4, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Or yeah, like this that. still happens. I mean, even in my neighborhood, um, there's a lot of uh, shops and whatnot that are open in the morning and then... Uh, Close for lunch, reopen at four or five in the afternoon. So it's it's a tradition that's still, you know, it's not as strong in in Buenos Aires, especially in kind of government administration yes. uh, type places. But uh, in the provinces, it's almost universal, um, especially in the north and and those kind of areas. Anyway, they Sarmiento de Junín. Speaking of siestas. I fear that we're sending some of our listeners to sleep at this point, so let's... We will uh, talk about football on. at some point. We will. So, but, you know, I think people like to hear about kind of the curiosities of Argentina as well. It's not just about the football, maybe. Congratulations to Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero, then, uh, who are going to be in the Superliga next season. 
There are one or two administrative questions about the Superliga next season. Uh, mostly, they were talking apparently yesterday about maybe only relegating two teams after all uh, mm-hmm. during 2019 to 20. We might mention those later. We might just not. Um, but we're going to begin. There have been, of course, two national team matches since we last recorded. Uh, one for the women and one for the men. And we're going to start off by talking about far and away the more important one, uh, which, because it was an actual World Cup game, um, was Argentina versus Japan on uh, Sunday. Was it? Yes, because it was Sunday, Scotland Monday? was on Monday. Monday. It was on, so Monday. It was on yeah. Sunday. Was it? Yes. I remember yes, you're right. Sorry, England yes. Scotland was on Sunday, and, and Argentina. I'm getting them confused because they're in the same group, obviously. <laughs> um, it was the only. I've just had a really quick look down because very handily, uh, having noticed that Andres had it up on his mobile, I've got the same from Yedos uh, web page up um, on my computer, and I noticed that they've got the average heights. So it was probably the only match of the group stage in which Argentina had a height advantage over mm-hmm. their opponents. Um, the average height of the Argentine starting eleven was a towering one meter sixty-seven to Japan's one meter sixty-three. Um, Scotland's average height against England was one hundred and sixty-eight centimeters, mm. so just barely taller than Argentina's. But anyway, uh, it was an interesting game. Uh, it was a very hard-fought game, and it was a nil-nil draw at the end of which Argentina celebrated as if they had just got a thumping victory, and that was because, in many ways, they had. Um, this isn't just the more important game because it's the one that's taking place at the World Cup. It's the more important game of the two Argentina games that have been played since we last recorded because Argentina's women being at the World Cup in the first place is, is a win in itself. Um, and this was a very highly celebrated point because in official World Cups, it's Argentina's first ever point. Yes. Their first ever clean sheet. Um, in each of the previous two occasions, they've only managed to score one goal in the group stage. They didn't add to that here, of course. But against the team who won the World Cup in 2011 and finished runners-up last time round, a nil-nil draw yes. when Argentina yeah. themselves hadn't been at the World Cup during that entire spell. And, um, and showing during some, of course, not uh, during uh, a lot of, of times, but um, during some parts of the of the of the match. Uh, the number 10, which is something that we already, we we know about this, about number 10 being quite uh, good at, with the ball on their feet, on their foot, Stefania, Stefania Manini, which showed some nutmegs and some ability there, mm. which was uh, characteristic from Argentina. An, Argent- an Argentina number yes. 10 not scoring at a World Cup, though? This, this sounds... <laughs> Horribly it's familiar. It is catching. Yes, it's catching. Um, she actually uh, said after the game that she didn't want any comparisons with Messi. Uh, much. The reason that she said that wasn't. You shouldn't say it off her own back. She was getting compared with Messi. Um, and she said, I, w- "I want them to know our, our names for ourselves. We don't want to be compared with the men." Well, unfortunately for for her, uh, there is uh, something that, that similar or the same from mm. her to Messi, which is that both are captains. Yeah. Indeed. Um, so in, in a way, perhaps it was inevitable. She was very impressive. She provided a good outlet, I thought, with, with Soledad Jaimes up front, um, who had to plough something of a lonely furrow because Argentina, by and large, of course, were sitting back and trying to make things difficult for Japan. Um, but I did think that, genuinely, the men's team could have learned something from watching that performance because the defence... Although I suppose it's easier to defend with more bodies, but but the defence were very solid. Japan had far and away the majority of the possession, far and away the majority 
um, of the shots, but didn't really manage to create anything clear-cut. I mean, they were reduced to shooting from range by the start of the second half. It was, um, I suppose, surprisingly one-dimensional, maybe, from Japan, considering the, the good campaigns they've had in the last two World Cups. Um, but Argentina kept them at bay. So it was kind of like watching um, an Argentina team as if it were the team that against whom Argentina were playing at a World Cup. In yeah. the sense that they were in just... Ways, yeah, yeah, I guess that's not unfair, yeah. Um, Lorena Benitez was... Uh, although Banini took all of the plaudits, I thought Lorena Benitez was probably the woman of the match. She was subbed off for... Um, oh, I've forgotten her first name. Sorry, give me a second. Lorena. Mariela Coronel. Um, no, yes, no, I, I remember that one. But oh. Mariela Coronel, who, who replaced her, um, who is 37 years old. Cool. And I think I read was in the Argentina squad the last time Argentina qualified for the um, Women's World Cup, which was 2007. Uh, so she got something of a revenge on the tournament, if you like, and was a more attacking presence. I thought it was interesting the way that that change ended up working because Benitez had been chasing and harrying and closing everything down and getting out to both full-back positions. And the, the classic, the Mascherano during the 2014 mm-hmm. World Cup, if we're going to get into the sort of comparisons with male players that she'd probably hate us to make. Um, but to give our listeners an idea of, of how everywhere defensively she was. Um, and when Coronel came on, I'm going to hold my hands up and say being unfamiliar with the style of play, but being aware that she was older than me, um, I was expecting her to be, you know, filling in, doing the similar job to save Benitez's legs a bit because Benitez was shattered. Um, Coronel ended up charging up the pitch and supporting Jaimes and Banini on, on counter-attacks for a lot of the uh, sort of 13 or 14 minutes that were left. Um, and it, it turned into sort of an outlet in which Argentina might have been able to snatch even a, a, a win towards the end of it, which would have been remarkable. Um yes. But yeah, I, I, how much I can't remember whether you said you caught caught the game or not, Dan. I did not. No. Sorry, but I'm interested. You know, this yeah. has been a fairly uh, interesting, concise summary. Hand of Pod uh, extra supporters on Patreon um, will be able to hear uh, Tony's thoughts. I really wanted to get Tony on um, this week. I, I was hopefully might be able to make it because I'm now living much closer to where he does. Uh, but he can't make Thursday evenings. But handily. He is coming around here to watch uh, Argentina versus England with me on Friday afternoon, which means that this week's Hand the Pod Extra, rather than being me and Dan and Andres recording right after this episode, is going to be Tony and myself um, recording around Argentina versus England. So uh, it will be Argentina England. against England and with one Argentinian guy and one English guy watching that. Yes, yes, precisely, yes. yeah. Um, you're going to do a live hand up extra during the game, or are you going to do it? No, that would be quite not. interesting. Wait, wait, I, Tony suggested maybe something quick afterwards. I think we might try and record if he gets here early enough. We might try and record something before and then have a break, and then something after the game as well, just with our reflections. But obviously, Tony runs uh, uh, a women's football um, Twitter account and, and Facebook page and stuff, and, and follows all of the players much more closely than than we do. Um, which is why I wanted to get him on to talk about it at some point. Hopefully he'll be able to get onto a proper episode during the Women's mm-hmm. World Cup still, uh, maybe next week, but we will have to see. Um, but really well done to Argentina. Fantastic yes. result against Japan. And against 25,000 people in, in, sorry, in front of 25,000 people in the Parc de France as well. It's not like no, they, what they are used to. stadiums in front yes. of a crowd of 10. No. Yes, Stefania Vanini, I think he, she was, or I don't know whether she was, it was she or Vanina Correa, the goalkeeper, another one of the... High points or highlights mm. in the in that match, 
so that yes they, they aren't used to to playing with uh, uh, from those uh, th that number of people but they are we will try to uh, not feel that nerve or that anxiety anxiety or uh, yes not be that nervous when they are in front of the, the, that amount of people because of course they are uh, uh, a humble team and, and it's incredible to talk about a humble team when you are talking about an Argentinian national team but it's, it's yes. like that uh, yeah but both in, in the Spanish sense uh, that I suspect you mean and in the English sense of being humble which Argentine male players certainly aren't normally um, but yeah absolutely um, next up are, are England um, for Argentina and then of course they'll end the group campaign oh, I think we're going to record before the Scotland game though I can't remember exactly what day it is but I think we'll be recording before it um, but we will keep an eye on it it is a good opportunity as well though to mention that I said um, a few minutes ago that it was Argentina's first point at an official Women's World Cup because they have played in an unofficial Women's World Cup as well 19... Anybody? Mm. You've not heard this? 1971, no. um, Mexico hosted an unofficial Women's World Championship, uh, which Ah, oh, Silva involved... put something on Twitter and yeah. uh, um, tagged me in it. I didn't really understand what it was about. It involved Mexico and a couple of South American sides. I think it was Chile and Argentina. Um, and four European... Hang on, no, three European sides. There were six teams there in total. Um, and Argentina and England were drawn in the same group, along with Mexico, and played one another in uh, 1971 a year after Mexico had hosted the Men's World Cup for the first time uh, they played each other in the Estadio Azteca in front of a crowd of 95,000 people mm -hmm. Argentina won 4-1 um, they next met in oh, I think it was in 2007 but I'm not sure whether it was at the World Cup because that was the last time Argentina qualified or whether it was in a friendly um, and England won 6-1 um, so this is going to be the tiebreaker best of three mm -hmm. England are going to be quite heavy favourites, obviously. Um, but then Japan were very heavy favourites on, on Sunday. Just goes to show you never so, know. You never exactly. know. It's going to be up there, but yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a good game. Um, and, you know, I'm enjoying watching. I, I said, I can't remember whether I said before or after we started recording, but I managed to watch the second half of England versus Scotland um, on Sunday. But I had missed the first half, which I'm told is the bit during which England actually played well. Right. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing whether England can play well for the whole 90 minutes or not let's say um, but I'm actually not sure who I'm going to be supporting at this point because I kind of obviously living here I feel much more involved with well, we've never had an England-Argentina World Cup game right in the three World Cups at least I've lived here they, no they well exactly because Argentina haven't been uh, oh yeah in, in any World Cup any you're World quite Cup. right sorry the yes. women haven't, haven't qualified for any and the men haven't been drawn together since 2002 indeed in the group stage um, well, you so it's going to be it's going to be good but it's like if, if it was the men playing each other I'd definitely be Obviously, yeah, okay, it, it's fairly good for business if Argentina win, but I'd be mm. supporting England. Um, th with the women, as I said, it's, it feels like such a, a win for Argentine women's football that they're even at this tournament, and we've followed the, to use a horrible media-friendly word, we've followed the narrative throughout 2019 so far when I said in the very first episode of the year that we want to cover more women's mm. football, so it's great to see them doing well. And... England or the team are expected to win. Yeah, so I think it's a bit like I, I kind of I'm yes. not going to be that sad mixed, if mixed I emotions. something off. Yeah. Like Rolling Stones will say, uh, mixed uh, mixed emotions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely a great a great story considering that all of this uh, process, the pre World Cup preparations, has coincided with with this battle for uh, to make the 
the women's game professional, mm. which has finally borne fruit, at least partially, with um, with the awarding of contracts, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, which we have had a question about as well, so we'll be talking about it a bit later as yeah. well. But yeah, it's a very, very uplifting story. I'm, I'm very much in favour. Good for you. Yes. Andres, are your loyalties going to be tested at all by England versus Argentina? <laughs> No, and did you feel that having met Dan and I means that you're really more of an England fan? Well, I I, I would like you to record yourself uh, with a reaction to that match. You you know that the, now nowadays it's quite used. Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, people uh, making those videos with the oh, reactions. Yeah, to the goals, goal celebrations. To yes, try and get um, themselves on social. Oh, those really people. But no, I I really want Argentina to to uh, go to go well after that match because. Uh, they they are growing. It's different from different to the men's national team, in which they are also they have to learn a lot of things. Apparent appear to to be a, like a a team that it's information, but in terms of the uh, when you mentioned that the, it was the first point ever they won in a World Cup, that's that tells a lot, yeah. or everything, and and that means that I want Argentina in that. Uh, Aspect to to gain more experience and and, and be more uh, to feel more confident. So uh, I would like I, I don't expect them to win, of course, but another England will be will be great. Another point would be yes. amazing. Um, and in fact, I mean, after after seeing that second half of England versus Scotland and seeing that Scotland weren't, I mean, not that I was expecting Scotland to be crap, but I knew that Japan and England were very strong teams and Scotland I wasn't sure about. So when I saw that Scotland weren't total crap, I thought, hmm, I'm fearing for Argentina already. I thought that, you know, Scotland was going to be the fixture against where Argentina would have the best chance of getting a result. Um, so the very next day for them to, to go and get a point against Japan is, is wonderful stuff. Uh, if any of you are listening, ladies, then good luck from the bottom of my heart, even though I'll be really supporting England. Um, on Friday. Anyway, moving on to the less impressive of the two Argentine national teams, the men's side. Um, they featured in a friendly against Nicaragua, which you might remember last week I was rather unimpressed with the whole philosophy behind organising it. Of, um, I had completely forgotten that Argentina have already played one friendly this year, or very late last year, against Guatemala. Mm. So I don't know whether they're planning on just completing the whole Central, Me- Central American set or what, but we'll have to wait and see who they line up for uh, during next year's friendlies. <laughs> see when they try and get Costa Rica, Belize and Honduras in. Although you'd have to be crazy to play a friendly against Honduras because one of the few sets of highlights that we've seen from other South American national teams um, friendlies prior to this Copa America it's slightly blood has been Honduras yeah. players kicking South American footballers yes. all over the place. Well we're on the subject of Guatemala actually um, our, our friend Rafana shared a funny little anecdote with with his um, adopted nation of course uh, Paraguay who Paraguay and Guatemala played I think um, shortly after Argentina um, Nicaragua I think they played on Sunday and they've played something crazy like eight times in the last ten years or something including in one year uh, three different friendlies what's going on there? this was because this was because um, at that time, the, apparently the Paraguayan FA had a lot of trouble booking friendlies. Either, I don't know if they called and couldn't get anyone to, to play them, or they just couldn't be bothered to call. Mm-hmm. But at that same time, 
uh, Guatemala had a Paraguayan coach. So every time they were looking for a friendly, they would pretty much just front up this guy and say, hey, uh, you guys are available for a friendly on, on this day. And they did it. So they ended up playing Guatemala three times in a year once. Good grief. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's not much more of a competitive game than against Nicaragua. I don't think um, the closest that Nicaragua's players really got to Messi at all in the game were where, was when they all mobbed him to try and get a selfie at the final whistle. Hmm. Um, it was a 5-0 walkover really for Argentina. The, um, two goals from Messi. Two goals from Messi. Two goals from Lautaro Martinez. Lautaro, that was it, yeah. And the other goal came... Oh, come on. From... I can remember this and I didn't actually see the game. Ooh, oh, Christ. I will get it. Uh, Roberto Pereira. Well done. Uh, yes. Yes. So I'm assuming that he, I, I, I say, you know... Believe that makes it sound as if I looked it up. I, I just I assume that he is the first current Watford player to score for Argentina. I don't I, mean the first current Watford. I mean the first player at Watford at the time of scoring the goal. I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah. Yeah. And Lautaro's goals, of course, is double. Also, make him the most prolific player in the Lionel Scaloni era with four international goals, Good more proof. than anyone else. From how many appearances? I think he's played seven, seven or eight. Right. That sounds right, yeah, because I think I saw a thing on TV earlier saying that he scored in total five in nine or something like that for Argentina, so he might have played one under Sampaoli and scored. Yes, he did play. Like he did play under Sampaoli. I don't know if he scored, but yeah. he definitely did play. Um, so I didn't see... How much of this game did I see? <laughs> I saw about the last ten minutes of the first half right? Um, because I was in the pub because it was Friday night and Argentina were playing Nicaragua and I was like... Yeah, I'm not going to go home early for that. Um, I was hoping to catch it on, on catch-up with this new television service I've been forced to get after moving house, um, but that didn't prove to be possible. So basically, I'm going to let you two fill me in yeah. on how much we, we can actually learn. Given that I ranted last week about how much can you learn from a friendly against Nicaragua, how much have we learned? Well, of course... We didn't already know, yeah. I mean... Of course, you've got to take into account the, the weakness of the opponent. They were there to make up the numbers, they were there to... Give Argentina a nice easy win to get confidence up to get the the fans in San Juan cheering and and all that jazz. Um, but even so, there's a couple of things you can point to and say mm, that was interesting. I think the most the most promising aspect of the game from from Argentina's point of view was the uh, the association, the partnership formed between Messi and Lo Celso. I thought they worked really really well together. As kind of this creative tandem, Messi actually staying upfield and Lo Celso doing that, the job that uh, someone always should have been doing in uh, in midfield for Argentina, kind of staying close to Messi, linking up, playing one twos. Actually, you know, Messi even received a pass in space in the penalty area from Lo Celso. This, I'm not lying. I swear, he missed it, of course, because. Oh, I, we're I never going to be. We're never going to be fully happy. That happened but. while I was queuing up for a pint. So I actually, indeed. Um, so yeah, I, it, I don't think I don't think Messi could quite believe it. To be honest, uh, it's like what? Yes. I, I just received a decent pass in Argentina. Yeah, he just and he just fluffed it. Yeah, no, that was that was definitely the most um, encouraging thing for me. I thought uh, Guido Rodriguez, a guy that none of us have really seen much of, given that he. He's played the vast majority of his senior career in in Mexico, and we don't 
watch many Mexico games. I thought he was solid enough. Um, he seemed a useful enough player, kind of anchoring that midfield. Um, the defence was uh, at least three quarters there. Uh, Marcos Acuna was playing instead of Nicolás Tagliafico, who will be uh, stepping up to the first team, we imagine, against Colombia on Saturday. But the defence, again, they really didn't have much to do. Um, and Foyte uh, instead of, of Pesela. Ah, and Foyte instead of yes. Pesela, you're right, you're right. Uh, yes, it was it was half there and it looked decent enough. Um, I don't think Franco Armani, Armani had, had a shot to field until a very late penalty which got uh, Nicaragua their consolation. I was going to say, we, we, um, we'll obviously after the break do a, start the Copa America preview stuff and, and talk more about what we're expecting yeah. that team to look like. But uh, it does look given the lineup of that friendly and given what we've seen already today, as if Franco Armani has... Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that now. After Andrade's uh, palming it into the net in the final of the Copa Indeed. Against yes. And then in the second half, of course, it's given it's an international friendly, the subs start coming on uh, thick and fast. Um, and there are a few guys that impressed. Uh, Pareda, the I've goal scorer. I've got a question, though. Before you tell us about yes. the guys who impressed, was Paolo Dybala one of them? He was not. He replaced yeah. Lionel Messi at yeah. half time. No. no, he did no, his no, usual. Not seen any other for second half. He did his usual vanishing act and just seemed to get in the way, really. It's very surprise, strange. Surprise, surprise. He's been, yeah, it's not been his, his year, really. Um, the guys who or did his play well. career for the national team. No. Never. But it's kind of seeped over to Juventus as well. This yeah. is the, the real worry. But on a positive note, um, three of the guys who came in were, were very impressive. Lautaro, of course. Um, Jumped off the bench, uh, came on for Sergio Aguero and took his two goals very well, two, two very very nice finishes and he could have even added a couple more. He looked very uh, very busy in, in the area. Uh, Pareda gave Argentina a little bit, I think, more thrust, more more of a direct approach to goal and, and took his goal well as, well as well. And the other guy, Rodrigo de Paul who had a very interesting cameo right at the end, where kind of following on from, from what uh, Lo Celso was, was trying to do, just this guy who, who makes life uncomfortable for, um, for the other team, drawing him out of possession, putting the ball behind him. And there was, yeah, there, was, there were things that, that you saw and thought, oh, fair enough, this is good. But it's, again, it's Nicaragua. Um, uh, we're not going to see if this was kind of a true reflection of the team until they actually play someone uh, worthy of international football, i.e. Colombia, to, uh, which uh, are very worthy. And the, about the only thing that those two teams have uh, in common is that they're both countries that end in A. And they border the Car- Caribbean Sea. Oh, OK, then. If you're going to get all trivia on me, then sure, that as well. Um, but yes, apart from those two things, um, not an awful lot. On that note, we're going to take a half-time break. I'm going to refill some glasses. Dan's going to step outside for a cigarette, I assume. Um, And when we come back, we will get into the proper uh, business of previewing the Copa America. The um, 117th edition, or whatever the hell it is. Don't go away.
Okay, here we go. The 46th edition of the Copa America kicks off on Friday night. If you're watching from the United Kingdom, then you'll be delighted to know that, is it Premier Sports or something like that, have got it live. Um, you probably won't be so happy to know that the first match kicks off at 21.30 uh, Brazilian and indeed Argentine time, uh, which if you're in the UK is 1.30 in the morning on Saturday. So, I don't know, I guess if you're out particularly late and you're still awake... Mm, but it's Brazil. Watch it. But so perhaps... It's Brazil versus Bolivia, the international might um, of... Bolivia will be taking on Brazil, um, the host nation. How are we expecting this tournament to go? Without worrying too much to begin with about Argentina specifically, in general, what are we, what are we expecting from this Copa America, gents? It's very difficult to see past Brazil, to be honest. Um, they're the hosts. They are really going out for this tournament. Of course, they haven't won a major... Um, a major trophy, uh, at least at senior level, since the 2013 Confederations Cup, if we can call that a major trophy as well. And how many, when was their actual last major trophy? Their last major trophy was the 2007 Copa America, where they beat um, an Argentina team of Lionel Messi, Riquelme, 3 0 in the final. Yes. Um, Quick bit of trivia for you. Yeah. That match was also the last Copa America match Argentina lost. Because in 2011, they went out on to Uruguay on kicks from the penalty spot. And in 2015-2016, they reached the final and lost to Chile on kicks from the penalty spot. They didn't actually lose the matches. Mm. Uh, Argentina are oh. 12 years unbeaten in the Copa America. Well, that is interesting. And yet yes. haven't managed to win it in that time. So we are wonderful now. Yes. Indeed. Yes. Um, yeah, so Brazil are going to be the team to beat. It's going to be very hard to beat them, I think. Um, perhaps a glimmer of a sliver of a faint uh, glimpse of hope. Uh, for the rest of the the competitors, was delivered with the news that Neymar will miss the tournament. He got kicked by a Honduran bloke, right? No, this was no, in the I'm previous game. Because of he, what I said during the first yes. bit, but. he tangled with a Sudanese descended uh, Quatari in their two 0 friendly win mm-hmm. uh, last week and ruptured, I think, an ankle ligament, and he will not play any part in this tournament. That could be a a positive for the others, or it could be a negative in that if it happened between the quarter and semi-finals, Brazil would go into complete meltdown, you know, based on what we saw them do when they hosted the World Cup a few years ago. Um, But the fact that it's happened now gives them some time to take stock and realise that actually they've got some other quite handy footballers as well. Oh yeah, indeed, their squad. Of course it's, I mean, Neymar is a fantastic player. Um, They're obviously not going to be any better off without him. Uh, talent-wise, but um, possibly looking at the positives for Brazil, if you look back at the 2018 World Cup, which was a very similar scenario where Neymar had been injured for a, for a great deal of the, the build-up to the tournament and then came back, and the tournament really just became all about him and not in a particularly positive way because um, everyone just started talking about his diving, his complaining, and all of these lesser less savoury aspects of his character hmm. and yeah and coming into this tournament as well he's we've been talking about some much less savoury aspects of his character yes moving away from the complaining. yes moving away from the most serious one which um, we can't really comment on I think as it's a, a judicial matter and 
and hopefully the, the the courts will do their job and get to the bottom of it. Um, but there have been all sorts of other uh, stuff from Neymar, Neymar coming out. Um, his rant on social media after the Manchester United game, uh, pun- punching a fan after Thank you for the, reminding me of that. Yes. Yeah. Punching a fan in the face after PSG's Coupe de France defeat. Um, yeah, and he's just kind of been a whirlwind of bullshit, really, for, for a good part of the last six months. Um, I which, find it, I find yeah. it quite sort of weird because when we saw him come up, you know, through the Copa Libertadores and everything with Santos as a kid, yeah. go to Barcelona and... and when he first moved to Europe, people were going, oh, you know, he, he dives a bit too... Most, most English-speaking people were going, oh, he dives a bit too much. And, you know, we, we were defending him and saying, well, that's hardly the, the worst thing. It's not as if he's breaking people's legs or blah, blah, blah. And he's yeah. clearly enormously talented. And now he's still clearly enormously talented, but actually we've discovered that he appears to be a pretty deeply unpleasant person after all. Yeah, there's definitely some... Entirely separate from the fact that he dives quite a bit and whines a lot. Indeed, um, yes. Yeah. So perhaps in one way, I mean... The player who's been chosen to replace him is uh, William, who is no mean player himself, I think. We can all agree. Um, and perhaps, yeah, without all the spotlight being on Neymar all the time, this might just prove a blessing in disguise for Brazil, who can now actually just knuckle down and play football and, and not have the whole, the whole circus around them uh, 24 hours a day. We shall see. I don't, I don't think in the group, at least, they'll... They'll be un- unduly uh, bothered by his absence. After Bolivia, they go on to play Venezuela and then Peru. Not necessarily in that order, but no, I think was, they might be. I was about to say well-remembered, because it was in exactly that order. Excellent. I've been doing stuff on this, so I should know it. Um, but I'm happy I do. I, I, um, yeah, and for me, they've, they've got to be the favourites, really. Yes, but apart from that, I think that... Um, Brazil has players and has a team to replace Neymar, even when he's Neymar, of course. And we can't doubt about yeah. his... It's not like Argentina losing Messi. I think we can all agree. I was going to say that, yes. yes. Sorry. Um, um, that uh, I think that Neymar is a brilliant player, or, or, or at least he, he couldn't show in the national team, at least for me, what he's capable to do or what his potential shows. Um and uh, yes, uh, for Argentina to, to lose Messi is like uh, the reaction of the of his teammates will be what what are going to, to, to do now. And uh, for Brazil, is of course it's a big loss, but not yeah. that big loss. And they used to play with him, we should say, as I mentioned, um, they've played almost all of the friendlies leading up to this Copa America without him. They did exactly the same uh, before the World Cup, so it's not like they're on uncharted territory let's say it's a team where which knows each other which knows one another and and kind of can go into action without relying on one player yeah so good for them behind Brazil um, I assume that we can all agree that the two strongest looking teams are probably Quata and Japan oh without a doubt yes without a doubt more seriously uh, although that actually might be the answer but who do we think the, uh, the strongest teams in the tournament are behind Brazil uh, you'd have to put Uruguay out there, I think, for the the sole reason that uh, they've maintained the same team, more or less, that that did pretty well at the 2018 World Cup, and I thought they were they were pretty decent. Um, 
And I think almost on... Sorry, Dan, tilt your head towards the microphone when Sorry. you talk, please. Thank you. And I think for that reason alone, in, in a continent where teams tend to be rather unstable and go through so many coaches, so many players... That's that's a boost in itself. Um, Having a manager who's been in his job since eighteen ninety seven and several players who've been there for almost as long. Yeah, it seems that yeah. Look, Uruguayan players are, are ageless. They just they turn up for every tournament and just just seem to keep going. It's 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 uh, it's quite amazing. And behind Uruguay, Colombia as well. I think could uh, could be an interesting team to watch. Of course. So much is going to depend on on this first game against Argentina because if I remember correctly, um, the team that doesn't win is, of course, um, more likely to, to finish second or third in the group and thus land in Brazil's side of the draw, which they obviously will so not win. So third place... Third place is weird. Will, Sorry, yeah, so third place be, is yeah. impossible to say, really. But yes. second place in Group B will play second place in Group A, which is Brazil's group, uh, in the quarterfinals, and would then go on to play the winner of Group A, which would probably be Brazil, mm-hmm. in the semis. So, yeah, they'd end up on the same side. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this game's... Uh, going to be very important for not just for Argentina but for Colombia I must admit I haven't seen a great deal of them since uh, since the World Cup because obviously all of the South American teams have been playing endless meaningless friendlies and very few of which have been televised in Argentina very few of which have uh, been televised in Argentina Peru and Venezuela or something last month which mm-hmm. got televised but it, kicked, it was in the United States then kicked off about 11 o'clock our time yeah. at night um, Peru could be interesting as well um, they certainly impressed me at the World Cup uh, besides the fact that they went out of the first round I thought they played some interesting football and Ricardo Garica has stayed on uh, he seems to know what he's doing um, and where do Argentina fit into all of this because it's difficult to put them among the favourites and yet it's Argentina so along with Colombia I think to. along with Colombia in the second perhaps uh, step Mm. Uh, I mean, under Brazil and Uruguay, there is Colombia and Argentina, and behind them perhaps could be Peru and Venezuela. Venezuela, who is we we always say like they could be the surprise, but I don't think that. I mean, but in recent Copa America, they've had they, a pretty good record. Have, but yeah. since then, they've had a really poor World Cup qualifying campaign, um, and so I wonder yeah. how much of it is going to sort of be a bit of a reset and and trying to get back onto the ladder rather than. To Indeed, the well. interesting thing about Venezuela is that the team they p- will play in the Copa America is going to feature at least three or four of their 2017 Under-20 World Cup finalists. Hmm. Uh, Wilker and Farinez, who I don't know if we've mentioned on oh, the Copa we've before. before. We have, yeah. 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 The Missionarios keeper, who's very, 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 very good. Um, and will pretty much ensure that no teams are going to have an easy ride against Venezuela at least uh, Shangel Herrera I think I'm saying that right but who knows with Venezuelan names um, the Malaga kid Peñaranda uh, not he's a he's a few years older but he hasn't he, I don't think he was around for the World Cup qualifying campaign um, mm. Joseph Martinez who's done so well 
up in MLS for Atlanta. He's been scoring goals for fun. And um, Rondon. Hmm? And Rondon, I don't know whether... Yeah, Rondon, of course, is there. He's there again. Um, I was a little bit disappointed to see um, that Jean Nurtado didn't make the cut. I know he was in the preliminary squad, but he he was left out in the end. That's a bit. I hadn't seen the squad. I assumed he was going to be in it. He was in the he was in the standby squad and yeah. didn't quite make the final cut. My word. Um, so yeah, they, it's going to be interesting. Don't forget, of course, that three teams go through, and, and Venezuela are in the same group as, as Brazil and, and Peru, who are two of the clubs we yes. already mentioned. But the other team in that group is Bolivia, so they they have a chance of, of getting that third place um, and and the top. So there are three groups. For those of you who are coming to the Copa America for the first time, uh, it's not always as sensibly. Um, easy to follow as the 2016 version was with 16 teams because there are only 12 teams in this one so it's three groups of four teams each the top two of every group will go through and then the two best place third place best third best. place teams so basically the whole group stage is only going to eliminate four teams indeed uh, if, so let's going to have a chance if, to yeah I, I was uh, going to say that uh, to complete the idea that uh, of English then that uh, I think the candidates or at least the most important teams or national teams have all of them good strikers like uh, well uh, Rondon and, and Martinez for Venezuela well Venezuela are not candidates but they have that uh, quality then Uruguay with Suarez and Cavani Suarez was recovered from the injury he had yeah he's he's made it with very little to spare but he has made it and he should be back he came off the bench in Uruguay's last friendly don't ask me who it was against but I did it see was that against Panama I think three nil. Yes, I believe so. And I think he scored. Uh, Maxi Gomez as well, oh, who's yes. kind of his natural replacement and, mm. let's say, successor in the national team, scored and then uh, Suarez got one. Then you have Brazil with yeah. Firmino and, 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 well, Felipe Coutinho, um, Argentina, well, we have already yes. talked about that. Uh, and then it is Chile, which I think is, they are quite weaker than they were three yeah, years Chile ago. Yeah, Chile in a particularly good place. Chile and Paraguay, they've got yeah. talent in the squad, but they've been so chaotic... So, all over the place. The only thing I'll say, though, is that Chile in 2016, we were previewing this, and Chile had a very unimpressive 12 months since winning their first ever Copa America. They replaced the manager, Juan Antonio Pizzi had come in after Jorge Sampaoli left. Uh, They were all over the place, and we were saying, you know, they're not going to (laughs) repeat that this time and then they went and won it again in exactly the same manner again by beating Argentina in the final practice. But I think this one's going to be Copa too far. We can say one thing with certainty, though. Go on. That after eight years and three different Copa Americas, Copas America, uh, we will have a final that doesn't involve Gerardo Martino, who has been present in the last. Yes. Three, he's been on the losing side of the last three Copa America finals. Quite right. Yeah. He got there in 2011. Yeah. Very, very long-term listeners will remember he took Paraguay to the final without winning a single game which was fairly impressive. And, of course, he, he took Argentina to the final in 2015-2016. And sadly, because Mexico didn't get an invite this year due to their Gold Cup commitments, he will not be, he will not be present. Yeah, indeed. So he will um, not get another loser's medal. Although his, his Mexico right. team, I, I read the other day, have not yet scored fewer than three goals in any match since he took charge. Which just underlines once again what I've been saying since Argentina forced him out, that Argentina shouldn't have forced him out. But and anyway. that CONCACAF isn't particularly competitive. No. 
Indeed. If we're talking Indeed. about teams like Guatemala, possibly that Nicaragua, well. we've we've been taking the piss out of uh, most of this podcast. They constitute not the strongest teams, but definitely kind of the second tier of talent in Concacaf. Indeed, uh, the groups. Before we move on to a really in-depth look at Argentina. Um, uh, Brazil, Bolivia, Venezuela, Peru as I already mentioned for Group A in Group D it's Argentina, Colombia, Paraguay the Group B sorry (laughs) Argentina, Colombia, Paraguay and Quata and in Group C Uruguay, Ecuador Japan and Chile don't forget that Quata and Japan played themselves no they didn't, sorry that's wrong isn't it they played each other, that makes sense in the Asian Cup final just Six months ago or so, mm-hmm. uh, December wasn't it? Um, with Quata winning, so those two invited sides might cause a few shocks because it wouldn't surprise me if the three of us sitting here in this room are among you know, make up maybe one percent of all of the people in the continent who are aware that Quata versus Japan was the final of the Asian Cup six months ago. Um, they might well be expecting a cakewalk and they ain't going to get it. No, um, I think even if. Uh, we didn't see the Asian Cup final or the Asian Cup necessarily. Everyone knows that Japan uh, are no walkovers. They're always very tricky customers when it comes to World Cups and, and other international tournaments. No, Absolutely no one takes them for granted. Um, both of those teams have taken full strength sides, right, to Brazil? I they haven't, think so. They have Because before we had this thing where teams would generally... Invited teams at least would generally take under twenty lineups. But I mean, I, I think they're quite. Do not believe this. Obviously, probably using it as, as World Cup warm-up. Well, yeah, chance they can get as well because they, they they're should, also yes. almost definitely going to be invited to next year's Copa America too. Indeed, uh, there, we have uh, Australia maybe yes. being the two sides. We have an update about that in a we while, do, so which, we will which we'll give you after we've gone through yes. the Argentina team news. Um, but yeah, it's it's not going to be easy. Um, from Argentina's point of view, then mm-hmm. moving on to a look at the squad, the, the expected starting eleven um, on Saturday against Colombia, as we record uh, on Thursday evening, is Franco Armani in goal. I think we've already said this, right? Uh, not on the record. Oh, I think we have. Our... Um, because I can't remember. I, I, I had it memorized, so let's see whether I can still get it. Franco Armani in goal. Right to left across the back is Renzo Sarabia, Germán Petzela, Nicolás Otamendi and Nicolás Tagliafico. Uh, there's a four-man midfield, which is Giovanni Lo Celso, uh, Guido Rodriguez, Leandro Paredes and Ángel Di Maria. And I can't remember who the front pairing are. Oh, it's a difficult who was one. it? It's Lionel Messi and Sergio Aguero. Up How can front. you put Aguero ahead of the great Laudaro? It's, well, it's a travesty. So this is one of the things Scaloni that because I've got a scrap of paper, I, oh. I scribbled something Ooh. down to remind myself to ask you it during the second half. I scribbled it down during the first half when mm-hmm. you were talking about Lautaro having scored. And it was. Lautaro Martinez has been very impressive so far for Argentina, as you mentioned, especially mm-hmm. under Leonel Scaloni. He's the leading goal scorer since Scaloni took charge. But for most of Lionel Scaloni's time in charge, obviously, Lionel Messi hasn't been involved in the national mm-hmm. side up until the last... Well, two of the last three friendlies, let's say, because yes. he went home after the first of the last double-headed, didn't he? Injured. Um, for which reason, <coughs> as well as the fact, of course, that he came on in the second half against Nicaragua on Friday, mm-hmm. and Messi had already been subbed off at half-time. Yes. So we haven't actually seen Lautaro Martinez and Messi on the pitch together. Against Venezuela, we did. And how did it go? Remind me. They played well together. Okay. Um, yes. Messi... 
set up Lautaro Martinez at least twice mm-hmm. with very decent balls in the area that were repelled by, uh, by yes. this great Farinas, who I was mentioning earlier. Um, or was one saved and one hit the post and went narrowly over, mm. something like that. And I believe they combined well um, a little bit later for Lautaro's goal. He, of course, scored the only one of... Uh, the only Argentina guy in that 3-1 defeat. Yeah. Uh, so there were signs that they what, could make a decent partnership. Because what I was wondering was whether... A, because Especially because we read quite a lot about how Scaloni doesn't actually rate Aguero that much. Like Aguero mm-hmm. is basically in the squad because he scored bucket loads of goals mm-hmm. rather than because Scaloni thinks he's a decent player. Which, I mean, you would think that he might be looking at his centre forward and thinking, well, he scores bucket loads of goals, so he's a decent player, so I'll put him in. But apparently that's not how Scaloni thinks. Mm-hmm. He's just put Aguero in because he doesn't consider himself to have any option. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder whether that is what sort of... The, the, the relative lack of time, whereas obviously Aguero and Messi have, at national team level, obviously not at club level, but mm-hmm. since they were kids, really, have, have been playing together for Argentina and have a very good understanding. But, um, do they, though? This has always do been something that, that bugs me. I mean, they should do. They're really great friends. They've played together since they were babes in arms, almost. They've got... About 100 caps with, um, under their belts playing together on the same field. And yet... And they are sleeping when together. When have we ever... I, I would not like to comment on such That means something rumors. different in English, Andres. Yes. Uh, Rumi. Hand, hand upon uh, lawyers, in case yes. Lionel Messi or Sergio Aguero's <laughs> lawyers are listening. Uh, we don't have any lawyers, <laughs> just please don't sue us, Andres. Don't let us know this, but they are sleeping together. I wouldn't care to Andres comment on that. Andres doesn't speak kind of English as a first language. Yeah. That's our defence. Yes. Um... And yet, can we really say, I mean, would they go down as, as a great partnership? Have we ever seen them, apart from in very, very limited fits and starts, be a great partnership? I think mm-hmm. at least since the, the 2016 Copa, we haven't seen anything uh, that would suggest this is the case. So you would think that it's, it's let's say, worth taking a gamble on, on Lautaro and Messi linking up rather than... I'm assuming that you think Messi should be in the starting eleven. I do. Okay. Yeah. So, so you would say it's probably more worth taking a gamble on Lautaro rather than going with what I'm sure Scaloni is looking at as the tried and tested option of Aguero. I uh, think it's entirely. I think it's entirely justified to, um, to start Aguero. His record speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. His experience speaks for itself. He's um, he's an extremely co- accomplished player, and and yeah, on this kind of in the hierarchy of the Argentina team. Uh, he probably deserves to, to go, at least go into this tournament um, as the as the first choice centre forward. What I will say is that I also expect Laudara to feature heavily. Um, I don't think he's going to be warming the bench at all. I think, uh, especially if Argentina is struggling uh, to break certain teams down, he's going to be seeing a lot of action as a substitute. Uh, he's going to be getting spells of 30, 20, 30 minutes in. In probably all of the games. So you reckon there's a good chance he's going to be the first sub, essentially? Yeah. Right. I think this is a, a very strong possibility. And if Aguero hasn't got his shooting boots in Brazil, and Lautaro comes on and starts scoring goals, uh, I mean, what's Scaloni to do? Uh, mm. You've got to pick the, the players in form, right? And I think is. it's certainly healthy for Argentina to have that competition. It's not a bad thing at all. Well, this Aguero thing could... Could be mentioned as a, something not very coherent for, from from Scaloni because um, it was he was asked some time ago whether he was uh, uh, his relationship with Aguero was good was healthy and now he's the striker the main striker in the in the, in the first match of the Copa America 
if, if you talk about the players that have been already been called up uh, before the, the Nicaragua friendly, well, Dr. Martinez should have his spot uh, for sure. But well, uh, the, the coach, coaches have this contradictory decision sometimes, and you, we can't deny that Aguero scored a lot of goals, a bunch of goals in in, in the in Premier League. I think 30 goals or something like that for the for Manchester City who became champions. Um, but um, they haven't been playing together the late, lately. Of course, that they know a lot of each other with Messi, their friends, and, and that thing. Uh, but perhaps Lautaro Martinez doesn't feel very well about this because he has been uh, playing more minutes than Aguero has. But uh, um, if if tomorrow or if sorry if, if the day after tomorrow he scores two goals, we will say yeah he was right. Scully was right with, with Aguero being there because he has been showing great goal scoring. And if he doesn't, we, the, the, a lot of people will say that uh, Lautaro Martinez should have been there uh, as a, in the starting eleven. Uh, it's hard decisions. Aguero is top striker, but I agree with some people that say that he couldn't uh, do what he does in his clubs in the national team. Uh, we will see now what happens. Um, But Lautaro, yes, I think he will be, if he isn't the main striker, he will be the first option to, to Aguero, mm. uh, no doubt about that, because he's the other striker. There. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to questions. Chris Hartley says, just watched the Argentina v Japan game, fantastic result, indeed it was. Um, Dan Edwards <laughs> says, I'm leaving now, so it should be indeed half an hour. What does that mean? I'm, Read your I'm original just, tweet. Yeah. I'm joking. Come on, Sam. Dan, Dan was letting me know that he was on his way. Um, and I, will, I did come in half an hour, I believe. I think even even sooner. It might well have been. We'll have yeah. to check the time of the tweet uh, later on. Although I can't remember exactly what time you ran the bell. So I, it was, I think it was uh, half six on the dot, almost. Or 6.31, six yeah. Uh, I've just remembered that I had an email last week from Ese Todoroki, who sent it to us about literally about two minutes after we finished recording uh, which meant that I wasn't able to read it out so I'm now going to scroll down on my phone and see whether I can find it, here it is and that question was does Boca's loss to Tigre reveal that there are cracks or flaws in Gustavo Alfaro's tactics and the way he approaches games if we can cast our minds back a week and a half correct <coughs> Certainly Alfaro, when he first arrived, I remember we had Mariano on, um, who was very uh, eager to see how Alfaro would do at yes, Boca, I shall we say, imagine. as somebody who can't stand Boca Juniors. Or uh, Alfaro's or previous Alfaro club, yes. just left. Uh, he didn't rate him at all. I, I think it, it's kind of a funny one, because I think Boca have been very, very solid. I think they've got decent results. Um, and, and there have been glimmers at times of a plan in ways that we didn't really see under Guillermo Barros-Ecolotto, and yet the results have been not as impressive as Guillermo Barros-Ecolotto managed, in spite of the fact no, that... No, because that plan is fairly uninspiring. It's mm. kind of keep um, a very static, very solid shape all the time, uh, risk very little, and get the goals when, if and when they, they may arise. That's Alfaro, that's what he's done pretty much uh, throughout his entire coaching career and I think even in his heyday at Uragan I, I read a few Uragan fans who despite this guy who'd got him to the Copa Libertadores two seasons in a row and 
won the Copa Argentina and done all sorts of of other stuff. They kind of they never thought, ah, oh, this is a great coach. Like we love him. It's all huh, you know, respect him, but but he's not a guy who's gonna who can easily win the affections of fans. Yeah. I think, and it's going to be the same in Boca. Very similar. I think we're going to see something very similar to. Um, uh, Falcioni during his time at Boca mm. he's kind of very pragmatic safety first coaches who, who get results and even more so when they have Boca's resources and they can essentially buy any players uh, they want to uh, aside from Daniele De Rossi of course who, yes. who sadly slipped through their fingers I think. how many t- players have they been linked to already in this transfer oh, I was in this winter was, yeah, uh, 20, 30 yeah. um, no it's insane um no, I mean, it's Boca. They're so far ahead of, of almost every other team uh, on the continent, let alone the nation financially, that they're never going to do badly, I don't think, now. Um, but but it's a lot of throwing stuff, throwing everything at the opposition, something will stick eventually. Exactly, yes. When it, what happened against Tigre, I think, in the final of the Supercopa, as much as anything, was <laughs> that they they had a, one of those very rare games where not only did they... You know, a lot of Boca games, are, oh, they'll play all right and end up winning handily. And actually, against Tigre, they, on the face of it, played pretty well and ended up losing, which almost yeah. never happens to Boca. Uh, it happens once in a blue moon, and it happened in, in that final. Um, but anyway, uh, moving on to today's questions. Sam, who is not me, says, Thoughts on Argentina's chances of progression in the Women's World Cup after their promising nil-nil draw with Japan? With the best third place team rule in place, they have to be in with a shot, right? Now, I have to admit, I'm never sure really how the best third team rule works. So, <laughs> I'm, it's tricky. And being in the same group as, as, as Japan and England, you, you have to, in spite of having just managed something brilliant, realistically, I think Argentina are going to be um, trying to keep the score down against England. Obviously, if they reach half time and they're still nil-nil or if it's still relatively close then they might sense they have another chance to get put off something historic and it's not going to be easy for England um, but I don't think they're going to be going out any more attacking let's say than they were against Japan against Scotland could be the opportunity to try and do something amazing and, and pull something off um, and even then they need how many of the fir- of the best place third, best third place teams go through do we know? Uh, 24 teams right so. Three, three teams. So that would mean there are oh the four best yeah. placed uh, third. The, I keep saying best placed. The four best third place sides out of the six groups go through. Yeah, best four so yeah, three. Yeah. They're, they're in with a chance. Um, hmm. If it, it does involve beating Scotland, which based on the second half showing that Scotland put up against England on Sunday, isn't going to be easy either. <laughs> um, but if they can get a draw against Japan, then they can beat Scotland. And if they get we, the draw, we still have to see what happens against England. If they get away, they get away with the draw tomorrow... If they get away with the draw tomorrow against England, then they'll be in a fantastic position to try and, and get something against Scotland and probably, you would think, qualify, just looking at some of the other sides. I mean, yes. um, they would be... If, if they were to draw with England and beat Scotland... Sorry, sorry, if they were to lose to England and beat Scotland, then they'd have more points than Australia have finished Group C with. I think. Oh no, sorry. They'd have more points than Australia currently have. Australia played two games in Group C. Um, they would have, yeah, a chance, <laughs> an outside chance, particularly because Group C and F 
there, there are sides who, who still don't have any points. But if they beat so, Scotland and uh, England beat Japan, they could uh, perhaps get even a second spot there. Yeah, that's true. Actually, that's a good point. Yes. Um, or indeed, if they get a result against England and then Japan beat England in the last game, yeah. um, but we will have to wait and see. I, I would say basically ask us the same question again next week. Uh, because they play Scotland Ooh, on Wednesday. Oh, no, OK, so don't ask us the same question next week because we'll be recording probably just after that game takes place. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we will have to wait and see. You've timed the question perfectly, Sam. Uh, but it's probably still or if you ask that question, it's going to be really easy to answer. Indeed, yes. Uh, Little Bird says, Do you think that a sudden rise through the tears a la Huracan de Tres Arroyos, their equally sudden drop notwithstanding, is likely to happen now? I feel that, with marked exceptions like Central Cordoba, promotions are more yo-yo-ish than before, but I could well be wrong. Central Cordoba, I think I'm right in saying, went through two promotions in six months or something. And I was reading a Twitter discussion a few uh, couple of weeks ago um, involving a, a statistician and a historian. And there was one team who managed to get promoted <laughs> from the third division at the time. Right. This, we're talking late 70s, early 80s, to the first division in the space of 96 days because the second division campaign that year was like some kind of transitional thing <laughs> and it consisted of about five games or something. So they got promoted, played the whole second division campaign and then were in the Primera like four months after they'd been playing in the third division. That is um, very impressive. But I can't remember who the club were, annoyingly. I didn't save the tweet. Um, but <laughs> There were also I, some I, I, polemic, polemic there. Of course, when they, when you lose, you perhaps are are uh, with pain and and suffer and, and and say things that in normal conditions you wouldn't say. But the Almagro Almagro president said that the Santiago del Estero province should have or they they for for uh, talking about the politics that they yeah. they were like they must have have a, a a place in in first division and that's why they were like benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the playoffs, and, and of course, yeah, yeah, just to be clear, you're talking about national politics, not yes. football politics. Here. National and, elections yes. coming up, and, yes. yeah. Um, it's an interesting one, but I think Tacheres have got promoted really quickly as well from the third division to the first in fairly yeah. recent seasons. It's happened a couple of times, so I, I don't yeah. know. San Martín de Tucumán did it, I think, in yeah. three or four seasons as well. Um, from, but then these sorry, are big no, clubs. Say, these yes. are big clubs as well. Who shouldn't so have been many down big at clubs in Argentina. But yeah. the, the chance is always there. Yeah, but Tashir um, is, is, you know, for Tashir is to be in the third division is. Like, mm. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. a big one. It's like Man City being in the, in the third division, let's say. Prior to their, you know, money Indeed. and stuff. Yes. Um, so, no, I mean, yeah, I would, I would say I don't know whether more likely, but it's still fairly likely. I mean, it's happened a bunch of times while Dan and I have been here. Yeah. So. I mean, Argentine football is so chaotic. And so turbulent, so changeable that anything can happen, really. Mm. I mean, you're not surprised to see teams go get three promotions in a row, and you're not particularly surprised to see teams get two or three relegations in a row. Um, all you know, aside from the biggest, biggest clubs, every single club is living pretty much on a day to day basis without really knowing what's going to happen uh, the following week. Yeah, and in that scenario, uh, Pretty much anything you can imagine is possible. 
Remember what you just said, Dan, because I suspect you might want to repeat it in a minute. Ronnie Mazunda says, I have no clue about women's football in Argentina except for San Lorenzo signing contracts already. What is the vibe for the women's national team in Argentina? Well, As you were just saying, yeah. the infrastructure is so fucked. And, Every, um, yeah, everything's so fucked. The, the vibe at the moment, I think, is that after that result against Japan, there is definitely more interest than there was before it. Um, there are still a lot of uh, rather tiresome people, some of whom I'm unfortunately in a WhatsApp group with due to the regulars at my local bar trying to put a pool group, a pool team together at the moment, which I'm involved in, um, who will say, you know, no, no, I told you to send videos of football when somebody sends highlights of the Women's World Cup to the group or whatever. Um, but I do think that the, the women's team is gaining visibility partly through what's through, through that fantastic result against Japan. Um, It'll be interesting because the other thing is obviously with them playing England next, we've actually seen just while we were recording a few minutes ago that ESPN was showing highlights of under-20 World Cup meetings between England and Argentina and previous men's World Cup meetings between England and Argentina. So it's the classical as if there was actually any kind of rivalry between them at women's level, um, which again, inevitably, the media are trying to transplant a men's rivalry into the women's. Although I guess the political stuff behind England and Argentina's rivalry means that it's going to transfer over to a certain extent. It's going to be an interesting... Ultimately, I I think it would take them at least qualifying from the group before certain people uh, in this country really start to take them seriously. But definitely, gaining invisibility and just at the perfect point of view from Argentina... at the perfect point in time from the point of view of Argentine women's football because the league's about to go professional... There is talk about Argentina bidding to host the 2023 Women's World Cup. Um, we've got some interesting stuff about the Copa America to mention when we finished um, talking about the listeners' questions, and, and that's uh, one of the things that feeds into that. But, yeah. No, I was going to say what then you said that they, we will talk later about the, I think, the Copa America 2020. Of, that's about, exactly, yeah. That's we'll, what get we'll get to it. So, Ronnie's linked question to that is. Uh, as well as that, for also for the women's national team, is their infrastructure half of what the men's team is? To which the answer is, ha 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 Well, I mean, they Wait. do use the Asesa training Yes, habit, correct? I mean, okay, yeah. sure they do. But until very recently, until a few months ago, they were forced to play on different pitches. They've only mm. recently been allowed to use the same... Um, yeah. You know, physical recuperation facilities and everything else that the men get. Um, bear in mind that, you know, we actually talked about it, I think, at the time. Back in 2017, the women went on strike oh, because the AFA refused to play them an $8.50 American dollar <laughs> daily stipend for representing the national team. To be fair, that same stipend would be, what, $4 now, free? Yeah, yeah. well, totally. But, I mean, <laughs> so they're probably still here now. <laughs> exactly. I mean... There was a, a tweet of... Uh, there's somebody, I can't remember her name, but she um, retweeted one of my tweets during the... She quote-tweeted one of my tweets during, during the, the Argentina-Japan match. Um, and we got talking, and then I saw after the match um, that she had tweeted that the Argentine FA, of all of the major men's associations, is probably the... is Sorry, not probably. is by far the most misogynistic. Um, and that this is what the women have to deal with in Argentina. Um, and I was going to respond and say, you know, look, they've, they've done quite a bit for women's football this year. The new AFA is very distinct from the old AFA and is trying to 
give the women more of a, a role and more visibility and, and more rights, hence why the league is about to go professional. And then actually I sat down to think about it and thought, right, but she's not saying that they're the worst in the world, she's saying they're the worst of any of the major men's nations. Mm. So who's worse? Brazil? No. Mm. <laughs> Brazil have had a very successful women's team for ages. England? No, clearly. Germany? No. Spain? Actually, you know what, you're right. In spite of mm. the efforts, or efforts in inverted commas, that the AFA have been making recently, which even then are not particularly pulling up any trees... I mean, they're subsidising women's contracts to the tune of making them equivalent to a fourth division men's semi-professional player Mm. right now for women in the national team. Um, In spite of these efforts, uh, the AFA remains far and away the most misogynistic football association among the major men's professional football associations in the world. In defence of the AFA, though, they are also extremely disastrous with the men's team. Oh yeah, totally. Yes. They, I mean, they're not necessarily any better, but if that mitigates it, <laughs> loads of treatment which the women yeah. simply have, have had to fight for years and years for, yes. uh, who had to go on strike for even the treatment they've got now, and it still doesn't quite match up to what the men get. Um, and Ronnie's final question: If Argentina men's side can't make it from the group stage, can't make it out of the group stage in the Copa America, would Scaloni be sacked? Scal- yeah. If they don't make it out of the group stage, Scaloni will be hung in. From his testicles in Plaza de Mayo. Yeah. He will not be, or he just won't be allowed to come back to Argentina. Who comes next? Who cares? Indeed. He'll, he'll be chucked out the window as the plane comes in over the Rio de la Plata. Perhaps Minotti is in charge. No, after, Sam, that's a little semi, bit. Semi, yeah. Semi-deliberate historical illusion there. Don't, don't be surprised if Minotti... Don't be surprised if Minotti is in charge of the <laughs> national team after... <laughs> Yes, Colony. Actually, the effort are such cheapskates that actually, yeah, I wouldn't be entirely surprised. Uh, but Ronnie also says, what will happen if he makes it to the final or the semi final? Would he keep the job then? If he makes it to the final and they sack him, I'd be very surprised. If he actually yeah. dignified semi final exit, I would similarly be very surprised. If they make it to the semis after getting out of the group stage in second place and they get thrashed by Brazil in the semi final, mm. yeah, then we can see. If Argentina defeats Brazil in the semi finals playing well, then you could see and say, well, yes, Caloni did a great, great <coughs> job and well, blah, blah, blah. And we will, this is the project we wanted. Yeah. And, and they lose, yeah. of course. Yeah. Nothing nothing uh, will continue for him, I think. But I mean, it's all a bit of a dilemma as well because you can imagine a scenario where the better Argentina do, the more high-profile coaches might look and think, oh, you know, this is... A fairly decent young team. They seem to be coming together. I might want to want to go at this. Hmm. Um, I, I don't. I mean, I think most high-profile Argentine managers are, are very well aware of what the AFA are. Though. No, of course, so, of course. But it's still coaching yeah. your country. I, I, I get the impression yeah. that certainly for for Simeone, say, yeah. it's far more of a. I don't want to work with the AFA then I don't yeah. want to manage my country no not so much to me only Pochettino I'm talking about guys maybe more like Gachardo or uh-huh. other people who might like the idea of coming in taking on a three year process at that ends yeah. in quarter and there are coaches that they don't, they don't want to or they don't like the idea of uh, coaching every six months mm. or yeah they want to be involved every day yes. yeah you're mm-hmm. quite right Yeah, Arsene Wenger famously said that obviously he's not going to take the Argentina job I assume <laughs> We'll have to wait and see. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> it does you. happen. Um, 
the final thing that I just mentioned a minute ago, or hinted at a minute ago, is that Argentina are hosting... Uh, sorry, they're not hosting. They're bidding to host the next Women's World Cup, which is hilarious in many, many ways, not least of which is what we were just saying about how it's one of the most misogynistic FAs, major FAs mm. in the world. Um, but, you know, visibility for Argentina. Hey, mm. go with that. And actually, I, I'd be in favour of it if it were to happen because it would massively boost the profile of women's football in the country. Mm. It would be a far more realistic pr- proposition than Argentina bidding to host the Men's World Cup. Um, and I'd quite like it to happen. Yeah. But what we also mentioned was going to happen was that in order to secure the universal backing of the 10 confederations which make up Condemol, and therefore in order to secure at least nine votes in the final bidding process, because of course, uh, well actually I guess maybe bidding countries can vote, so Argentina would obviously vote for itself, so let's say at least 10 votes. Um, Argentina offered to, so we know that the 2020 Copa America, next year's Copa America, when it then switches to a four-year, even-numbered year's cycle, um, is going to be joint hosted by Colombia and Argentina. See episode Passim um, for details on that. And they said, we would be willing to give up the second leg of the final for the Copa America. <laughs> At which point, lots of people read that and went, what do you mean the second leg of the Copa America final? How does that work? And rumours started coming out that there was talk about, because next year's Copa America organisation isn't already ridiculous enough, there was talk about playing the final over two legs. One leg in Colombia and one leg in Argentina. Um, fortunately for everybody, I think I'm right in saying, Conmebol president Alejandro Dominguez came out on uh, Thursday afternoon, that's this afternoon as we record, and said, this is not true. These rumours are false. Um, the Copa America 2020 final will be one uh, only one match played in only one stadium which as I pointed out on Twitter is a bit of a tautology because I don't think even Conmebol could organise one match played in two different stadiums they've already done it do tell the Copa Libertadores final but the match didn't kick off in the Monumental but they organised it and they organised one match in two grounds it, it wouldn't have entirely this would not break new ground so. I, I, I thought this admit at the time, it I've got you there well I, I, I did think at the time it wouldn't entirely surprise me to see them kick off the first half in the Monumental and blow for half-time, and then make all the players get a taxi straight to Aeroparque and get on a flight to Bogota Why not? to play the yeah. second half. Sure. 24 hours later. Aeroparque's right there. Like, you could do it, yeah. Um, it would have been a ridiculous proposal. It's very good that Alejandro Dominguez has uh, said that it isn't going to happen, regardless of how tautologically he did so. Um, and that's all we can say on the matter, really. Yeah, pretty much. If, if any <laughs> confederation on the planet was actually going to try that, though, a two-legged final... Yeah then it was going to be comfortable. Anyway, anyway, it was good for him that uh, he said only one match in only one stadium. It is because the, the only one stadium was clari- to clarify, of course. Yes, indeed. Yeah, uh, There is still, I suppose, a chance that Argentina might give Colombia the right to um, hold the final if it means that they can bid for the Women's World Cup and get Comeball's yeah. approval. We'll still have to see. But basically, just so that you all know, Argentina are talking about bidding for the Women's World Cup in 2023. Had a pod hopes it happens. That's that. Yes. Really? Um, normally, this is the point where I would say this is where Dan and Andres and I leave those of you normal listeners um, and record a special hand pod extra for the special listeners mm-hmm. who give us money on Patreon. Uh, today, we're not going to do that because today 
uh, there's not going to be a hundred pod extra right after this episode. This week, we're going to hazard any predictions on the Copa America matches. We will, yes. But ah. th- this week, Tony and I will be recording hundred pod extra around England versus Argentina because Tony's coming to watch that game here with me. He obviously has uh, far more knowledge on the Argentine women's team than uh, any of us three do. So, if you're a hundred pod extra subscriber, look forward to that on. Ooh, I'm going to have to leave right after recording it and won't be back until fairly late in the evening. So look forward to it maybe on Saturday at some point. Um, but yes, for the rest of you, thank you for listening. And predictions for Argentina versus Colombia, gents. Mm-hmm. And also for Argentina versus England and for Argentina versus Scotland in the Women's World Cup. When does the other game in the, the next game in the Copa America take place? Will that be before oh, recording? That's a good question, or... actually. Let's, let's see. Must be um, Tuesday or Wednesday, I imagine. The Copa America. The next match is going to be... Wednesday, I think, 9.30pm. Wednesday, yes, at 9.30. So That's a pain in the ass. Possibly minutes after we record. So basically, we're not going to... We're not going to... Um, I think we'd have to record Tuesday, right? That'll make more sense. Well, we'll see. Let's not tie ourselves down to anything. But we're not going <laughs> to predict Argentina-Paraguay yet. So first of all, Argentina-Colombia. Down. I think... It will be a 1-1 draw. Andres? Well, I think Argentina will win 2-1. I'm going to go for... Mm. I'm going to go for Colombia 2-1. Because mm. I, I don't think there are going to be that many goals. So it was difficult to really... I think there will be goals, but I don't think it's going to be very high scoring. Argentina-England on Friday. Down. I have no idea how either team plays, but since Sam has said that England are the favourites, I'll go for an England win. Address. I think that England will win 2-0. I'm going for... Because I want Argentina to at least get a goal to celebrate. I'm going to say 3-1 to England. And Argentina-Scotland. Again, Wednesday just, afternoon, yeah. I think we said, right? Again, just going off what you said here, um, a draw? Maybe? 1-0 for Argentina. There we go. I'm going to agree with Andres. Not in any way because I'm English and therefore and live in Argentina and therefore prefer Argentina to win rather than Scotland. Uh, please don't take offence, Scottish listeners. Um, no, I, I think if they can get something, anything at all to, to have some optimism for going into that final game, I think Argentina might be able to pull off something amazing. Uh, it's been such a great story watching them so far. Thank you very much for everybody listening. Uh, Please tell your friends about us, tell your family about us, tell your pets about us, whatever. Um, Maybe they'd like to hear the trees purring in the background. Maybe animals can pick that up. Human ears can't. She doesn't purr that loudly, but who knows? Maybe animals can. Spin off, maybe maybe hand hand off poured. Yes. Oh, that works nicely. We'll we'll have to try that. Um, Anyway, for now, we will talk to you again next week. Enjoy the start of the Copa America. We, will, we won't just review Argentina's uh, matches in it. We will review all the other ones as well, or at least as many of them as we can watch now that none of us are direct TV customers anymore. Mm-hmm. He curses under his breath. Um, for now, thanks and goodbye from English, Dan. Goodbye and thank you for listening. Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. And me, thanks and goodbye. <laughs>